You're listening to The Road to Philanthropy with Gary Cohn, a podcast series on giving and working with nonprofits. This podcast is produced by Painted Rock Advisors, a consulting hub providing services to the philanthropic and nonprofit communities. We bring together your values and wealth with opportunities to do good work and make the world a better place. What can we do to help you? Contact us at paintedrockadvisors at gmail.com. Hi, this is Gary Cohn. Welcome to The Road to Philanthropy, a podcast series on everything in the nonprofit and philanthropic world. Today, our guest is Sydney Rogaway, the Executive Director of Hebrew Free Loan San Francisco. She's also the president of the International Association of Jewish Free Loan. Cindy is a graduate of UCLA, Go Bruins, with a BA in communications, and grew up in Southern California studying surfing at Samo High in Santa Monica. For more than 30 years, Cindy has worked in fundraising and nonprofit management within the Jewish community. She joined Hebrew Free Loan in 2003 as a development director, the first development director for the agency. In that capacity, she managed both fundraising and marketing activities, expanding the agency's reach in the community so that more people could have the opportunity to become self-sufficient and realize their dreams. In 2010, Cindy became the associate director of Hebrew Free Loan. And in May 2014, she became the executive director. And she is the first woman to assume that role in the agency since 1897. So it's a very old agency in San Francisco. Prior to joining Hebrew Free Loan, Cindy worked for the San Francisco-based Jewish Community Federation and Foundation for 14 years, where she focused on fundraising, community development, leadership development, and community building. In our LinkedIn, we actually share 195 contacts together. So our paths have crossed many times. I don't think anybody else in my uh, LinkedIn database has 195 shared contacts. So it's pretty, pretty interesting. Cindy lives in San Francisco with her husband, Joe, and their son, Alan, and their spoiled dog, Masa. Welcome. Thank you so much, Gary. I love, that's about the most uh, entertaining introduction I've ever received. So thank you. Well, you probably didn't know, many people don't know that I know what Sam Ohai is, you know? <laughs> That is impressive that you do. I'm very proud of my samurai background, but I can't say anybody should try to learn surfing from me. <laughs> we both have our roots in uh, in, in Southern California. Um, can you share a little bit with us about your path uh, from uh, UCLA to becoming a uh, working in the nonprofit sector and becoming an executive? I was very active in, in the Jewish community at UCLA. I worked as a volunteer, became really involved with one of the special interest newspapers, the Jewish newspaper there called Ha'am. And I became the business manager because no one else wanted to do it. And I was basically selling ads for people to various businesses so that we could print a bigger paper. I was used to working behind the scenes and I got involved, but it really became the social fabric for me at school and eventually went on to uh, be the, the founder of the student Jewish Student Council there on campus and loved what I was doing, but thought that working in the Jewish community professionally was really akin to working in the family business. So I had no intention of ever going into nonprofit or Jewish nonprofit. And my goal had always been in the realm of journalism and went after I graduated, I was in the for-profit world working for college textbook publishing companies for several years. Um, And only after a 
an injury did I actually find my way almost by accident into the nonprofit world. I realized I was very good at convincing people to do things uh, like buying ads in a student newspaper. In fact, people would challenge me in those early days, get a department store to advertise or one one point get a Jewish cemetery to advertise in our paper. And I had to convince them that advertising in the student newspaper was actually a smart idea. So I knew I could do that kind of work. And when I uh, started thinking about what's next, if it's not going to be publishing, I started thinking about the importance of nonprofits and the Jewish community. And it was a lot easier to carry a check from a donor than college textbooks. So that was really what led me to it. And I lucked into a position at the Jewish Community Federation. And the first day on the job, had the chance to meet Natan Sharansky, who was speaking that day, the very famous Refusnik from the Soviet Union. And it was such a, a moment where I just realized that I would be able to use my skill set for the good of a community I really cared a great deal about. And that was the beginning of my love affair. So I did that, as you said, for 14 years. I, I had lots of different roles at the Jewish Community Federation, most of them in fundraising and community development, although I did Um, start a leadership development department there as well. And eventually, um, after 14 years, was ready for a change. And I left there with um, a lot of time on my hands. I I chose to leave and realized it wasn't another job I wanted. I really needed a break. I was working too hard at that point and um, wasn't even sure I would continue to work in the Jewish community or I was pretty sure I'd stay in nonprofit, but um, my boss at the time, Ed Cushman, who had been my boss for four years, he was the campaign director at the Federation, and I was his associate campaign director for those last four years when we our time overlapped there. And he left to go become the executive director at Hebrew Free Loan, And I left to take this break and I was 40 years old and I was still single and married to my work and I needed that break. Um, And after a few months, he asked me to come join him at Hebrew Free Loan. So it just seemed like the right thing to do, the right place to be. Uh, It was very exciting to me to think about after 14 years of doing what I felt was very important work uh, for the community but was one step removed from all the agencies. And then again, from all the clients who were served from all the agencies, the Federation supported, this was my opportunity to really do some direct service work. Tell us a little little bit about Hebrew Free Alone and how does it operate and what what exactly do you do? Thank you. I would say that the vehicle we use is to provide interest-free loans to people in need, but that's just the vehicle, not the mission. The mission of the agency is to help people to become and remain self-sufficient and to be able to take care of their own issues, either when they need to get back on track financially or in many cases, people who are managing to handle their expenses, but suddenly something big comes up, a dream that they're trying to pursue, like going to school or starting a business or, um, or undergoing fertility treatment so they can have a child. So our goal is to provide interest-free loans to make those, those dreams a reality for people. And we do it all the way a family would without charging interest. 
and with just giving people a lot of support so they can live out their lives in the most dignified way. And how many clients do you have that, that have loans from Hebrew Free Loan? Currently, we have about 1,350 people in the Northern California community who have an interest-free loan and are paying it back. We have we give out roughly 500 loans each year, and people take a few years to repay it, but it's always interest-free and fee-free, and they just pay it back over time, and we have a 99.9% repayment rate. Wow, that's, that's a fantastic rate. Wow. I had no idea it was that high. That's wonderful. You are listening to The Road to Philanthropy. We're going to take a short break to hear from our sponsors. We'll be right back. Obviously, there are Hebrew Free Loans in other cities. Uh, tell us about the International Association of, of Hebrew Free Loan. Well, it's an organization that started about 38 years ago to try and bring together and assist agencies like the one I just described to you, like ours in San Francisco. We have about 50 member agencies that are in, about 43 of them are in America. Uh, in the United States, we have another five or so that are in Canada and one in Israel and one in Australia. And they all, they're dues paying members. And we, it's a collaborative body, not a governing body. So we all give each other assistance. We have a list serve. We have an annual conference. We have a lot of connections throughout the year to keep people going on and helping them with best practices and the kinds of loan programs that others might want to consider offering. Now, obviously, Hebrew Free Loan started as a Jewish Free Loan Association way back when. Um, what percentage of your clients are Jewish versus non-Jewish clients? So locally, we are actually 94% Jewish and 6% non-Jewish. Of the For the International Association, about half of our agencies uh, do lend in a non-sectarian way um, to Jews and non-Jews alike, and the other half remain true to their original founders like we do in San Francisco. There's been a a long debate and a lot of concern about donor intent because what's a, what's unique about our nonprofit is that the funds that we use to loan out get recycled from one loan recipient to another so we believe that the money that we started with in 1897 when a group of people came together and started putting money into the pot to be loaned out we believe that, it, that we know that they wanted that to be for people only in the Jewish community. Uh, um, and so when you look at in the 20s and the 30s and the 40s, as people were donating, thinking that and keep in mind in the context back then, Jews couldn't even go to banks and get loans in, in 1897. So there was a reason that they started it this way. And it's very hard to move away from those goals because that money is still circulating today. But we do have a special program for non-Jewish kids from lower income homes who are going to college called the Pollock Community Loan Program, where we have kept all the funds separate uh, so that people who donate directly to that program uh, enable us to give those loans. And we're very proud of that. We also give loans to non-Jewish people who are working for synagogues and other Jewish organizations or are members of an interfaith family or are a business partner of a Jewish person who's coming to us for a business loan. But we're limited because of these historic constraints. What excites you about the work you do? To me, it's an incredible privilege to be able to 
connect with somebody at a moment when they have some kind of need and to be in a position to offer them at least a partial solution to their to their issue. It's just a very exciting place to be, to connect, to learn about their lives. In some cases, people come back to us a few times. It's a very human-to-human enterprise. And to be able to make them feel comfortable and safe in that space and to be able to offer them support is just an incredible honor. That's that's for sure the, the most important and exciting element of the work. What people don't always understand is that they think that it's only people in dire need that would come to a Jewish free loan or any kind of a agency for assistance. But I know a good friend of mine, you know, lost his home in the Oakland Hills fire and, uh, and Jewish free loan helped him get back on his feet again. Uh, and now he's a donor. Uh, so it does come around full circle with some of your, your clients. It absolutely does. In fact, around 2008, we created something called the Full Circle Club for people who had done just that, who started out as borrowers, repaid their loans, and then went on to become donors to pay it forward through the agency. And it's uh, we have a lot of people. We have about 500 people who are active members of the Full Circle Club, and it's very rewarding to see. I think that's what makes our agency a little unique because we aren't just giving grants. We are um, giving somebody the chance to, to, to handle their own situation, to fix the own, their own issues. They borrow the money, but they pay it back and they have a lot of pride in paying it back and right. in many cases paying it forward. Mm, that's very good. COVID-19 has affected and impacted a lot of agencies in the nonprofit sector. What has it done to your agency? Well, it's been a monumental period in our history. What happened when it originally hit, we had started in March of 2020 to publicize that we had a COVID relief program. And we realized from past experiences with a disaster relief because of all of the wildfires in Northern California, we realized that you need to get out early and plant the seed in people's heads even before they realize they need the help. They need to remember, uh, they do remember later on that they heard Hebrew Free Loan did something that they should turn to us for help. So we announced it early. And before long, as soon as people started being put on furlough or losing their jobs altogether, we were inundated with requests. We had a 230% increase in loan requests. Wow. That's a tremendous increase. It was incredible, and we had to mobilize. We had to mobilize resources, both um, staff as well as financial resources for lending. We were concerned about how our investments would be doing. We were concerned about whether donors would be in a position to continue supporting us. You know, nobody knew in March, 2020, whether we were heading into a recession or a depression. We didn't know. And we were also getting calls from people that we'd never received before in this kind of volume of people saying. Look, I have a loan with you. Can I just take six months off and paying you? But right. we're very dependent on the loan payments each month to help propel us to make new loans. So uh, long story short, I contacted some of our key donors who stepped up and donated a lot of money. But I also reached out to a connection of mine in the endowment department at the Federation and said, we need money and we need it now to meet the needs. And the Federation really stepped up. They asked me for a proposal, if I could get a proposal to them. It was a Friday afternoon at 4.30. Can we have the proposal by Monday morning? And <laughs> we did. And they, she said, how much money do you think you need? And we, I said, 
I pulled the number out of the hat, $5 million. Um, now I should tell you at this point, our total assets were about 16 million. And this so 5 million would be a considerable amount. We had given out 4.7 million in the entire year before that. Mm. Um, so this was a lot of money, but I just ju judging from the pulse of what was happening at the agency, that was the figure I said. So our proposal was that what we were hoping to do was, and what they eventually did was pooled uh, some, a, a recoverable grant that they gave us. They worked with people who had donor advised funds at, at the endowment department, and they solicited them to contribute to this recoverable grant, which means a loan to us for $5 million dollars. And the idea was they would loan it to us interest-free. We would have five years to repay it. So people knew that they wouldn't have access to those funds in their donor-advised funds mm -hmm. um, for five years. And we would only be obligated to repay exactly what we recouped from our loan recipients. Because again, although we have historically such a high percent repayment, I had no idea if that was going to continue, if COVID continued a long time. Nobody knew back then. Nobody had a crystal ball. So I couldn't obligate the agency in a way that could really hurt us down the road if we had to repay something we didn't collect. In the long run, they raised $5.6 million for us. Uh, in, and when I say long run, it took them only three weeks to do that. Wow. And um, they did it. It came from 54 donor advised fund holders, two supporting foundations, and one million of it came from the unrestricted, unrestricted endowment reserve. So we gave all of that out <laughs> over the last, it took us about seven months to loan it all out. And um it was an incredible resource. It allowed us to breathe and to give our current loan recipients the break that many of them needed. Not everybody needed that, that break, but a lot of people, um, there were about 120, about 10% of our loan recipients needed to at least take a month or two off of their payments. And uh, we were able to, to pump that much money out into the community, offering support to people at such a vulnerable time for them. So it was it was an incredible opportunity and I think a really innovative approach. And we've already uh, repaid 1.2 million to them. We decided um, we were asked to start to make quarterly payments uh, based on whatever we collect from the loans assigned to those funds. Three months, every three months, we, uh, we pay the Federation back and it goes back to the donor advised funds. Now we're not out of COVID completely yet, though we are in some ways getting more active in, in society. Has that improved the people's needs now or, or needs less or is our needs still there? It's not, um, I would say a lot of people, it's less of a deer in the headlights, panic, I need money, I need it now situation, but we still um, get a lot of COVID related loan requests really on a daily basis. So we are still, we're using our own funds for it now. It allowed by getting those dollars, the, the loan from Federation donors, enabled us to to basically build our reserves back up so that we are in a position to offer that support. Um, we haven't had to turn anybody away, but there's still a lot of people. A lot of people used their credit cards to get through some of this, and right. uh, and now they're turning to us for debt relief. 
Um, but a, we are tracking still very carefully the loan requests that are COVID related and many people are still hurting. And now of course the moratorium for rent is, is most likely going away. So we expect to hear from, from more. And what, what are the priorities you have in the coming 12 months or 18 months now that things are settling a little bit and you're getting your reserves built up again? What kind of priorities do you have? In the midst of everything, we completed or we're completing our strategic plan uh, that the board has been engaged in for the last year plus, really year and a half. Um, so we have some very specific goals, but they all come down to my my motto is that we want to help more people and help people more, which sounds very simplistic, but it uh, it really summarizes it. Our goal is to increase our visibility in the community and to expand the reach of Hebrew free loan by increasing the number and type of loans and the amount per loan mm -hmm. uh, to help people more. And, and that also includes our third goal, which is enhancing the impact to individual borrowers by increasing the loan limits um, so that we can offer them more support and more of a solution to their challenge. And what are, what are your current loan limits? So it, it does vary depending on the type of loan. We, we certainly um, offer emergency loans that can be turned around in less than a day for up to $3,000. But it goes up from there. Most of our loan types um, offer $20,000 for things like debt consolidation and general needs for people who need to buy a used car, let's say, to get to work um, or or just any expenses coming up right. um, as well as healthcare loans. So most of them are at the $20,000 level and then uh, $50,000 for businesses to start or expand a business. Um, and we have first time home buyer loans for 25,000. So obviously you can't buy a home in Northern California for 25,000. It's not gonna cover a mortgage, but often people scrimp and save and they can handle a down payment but they don't have the means to uh, they to deal with closing costs or repair work. We're right. dealing with somebody now who needs to put a new roof on their house. They just bought, but it needs a new roof. So or moving costs. So a lot of people get helped with that final twenty five thousand that pushes them over the line. Very good. Good. Um, you've worked on both sides of the philanthropic table as a donor and as a professional. Uh, what do you find most rewarding about that in your life? Well, if you mean which is more rewarding, I find them both really rewarding. Okay. Philanthropy uh, philanthropy, and being a donor is one of the greatest, uh, it's, it's one of the things that moves me the most. I was brought up in a family that cared a lot about supporting community and helping others. And my grandmother, when she died, they found a stack of receipts in her apartment that could have started a fire. She wasn't a hoarder in other ways, but she had tons of donation receipts and could never say no to somebody. So that is, it's just a great privilege. I feel blessed in my life. I'm not a wealthy person, but I am blessed. And I have always felt it a priority to give and it's fun for me to make those decisions to decide what my priorities are and how to have the greatest impact um, on the community with the limited dollars I have to give. So that is definitely key, but it's also as a professional in the community, such a great, great privilege and so much fun to be able to connect with donors and to be able to help guide them. You know this from the work you do, Gary. 
um, to be able to help them prioritize and show them the opportunities that there are to make an impact. It's it's just great. People, I've seen it in the last year with all of this COVID relief work that we're doing. It has attracted donors from all walks of life and from places we never thought we would get support. I forgot to mention that of the donor advised funds that participated in that uh, in that loan to us, over seventy percent of those donors had never given a penny to Hebrew Free Loan. And yet they were coming out of the woodworks and saying, sign me up. I want to be a part of this. I want to contribute. I see the value. And we are, when you talk about what are our goals, a lot of my goals in terms of fundraising the next few years are to capitalize on that, uh, those new introductions we've had, not just with those 54 donors, um, but with others in the community who are hearing about us for the first time right. and making sure that we, we grow literally from strength. What is the biggest challenge that, that you face in your professional career now going forward? What do you want to do? Uh, you want to just stay with Hebrew Free Loan and keep building it and growing it? Or do you have other aspirations down the road? There's no other place that could give me this kind of buzz. <laughs> I, I feel like my whole life and my whole career really um, have brought me to the right place at the right time in my career where I'm able to have the greatest impact. And I am sure I would have a lot of fun doing a lot of other things, but nothing could be more meaningful. So I plan to, uh, I'm not a young chick and I'm not an old, <laughs> not ready to be put out to pasture, but I plan to stay right where I am for as long as the board will have me. Well, I think that, you know, the, the most important thing about the work we all do in the, in the philanthropic and nonprofit community is the impact we have on people. Um, yes. You know, I, I remember a story from Emmanuel when I was the executive director. I never realized that some woman, emigre family, had a, uh, an accident and her, her van was totaled and she needed transportation. And she came to us and, uh, you know, I was able to help her through one of my friends that owned a dealership to get her a brand new car uh, in the right timing for her and make some adjustments to make it happen. And I didn't realize how impactful that was on her until years later when she said, you know, if it wasn't for that, I wouldn't have been able to get to work. You know, you don't realize the, the impact we have. Well, I think a lot of the work you do in a case like this, when somebody comes into my office, I mean, I, I often say I'm not the only one, by the way, who does the loan interviews. We have a right. few loan officers, but all of us feel like it, people open up, they share their stories with us. They share their lives, a lot of personal details financial details, relationship details. And I feel like we're sitting there. I am not a lawyer. I am not a therapist. I'm not a you know, certified financial planner. But you end up having these conversations and doing a lot of the work. You get to play all these different roles in that moment. And what it all comes down to is listening carefully to what their situation is and problem solving and being an ear, being a shoulder, and figuring out their way out of the situation they're in. And, and a lot of it is money and, and an interest-free loan. And a lot of it is that they have someone they can open up to, just like the situation you described. And then it's matchmaking. It's connecting the dots and helping people. Right. I, I think it's just such a wonderful part of the work we do. It's, it's about building those long-term relationships with people. Well, I recently board, uh, joined the board of a nonprofit called Safe Parking Los Angeles, 
which have 10 parking lots throughout the city where if you're living in your car, you have a safe place to go at night to park, have bathroom facilities, have security on site, whatever. And as I, someone said, why are you doing that? And I said, well, for a lot of people, they're one paycheck away from this. You know, they miss a rent payment, they get evicted, and we don't know what's going to happen with the eviction. You know, that's what do you call it? Uh, the, the hold that was on it, you know, you, you, that just went away. Oh, repossessed. Yeah, thank you. People can be impacted by that and very quickly. They don't realize it. And I I think so much of this work, I, I do feel really blessed in my life to have a very nice, stable, uh, secure life with a family that's comfortable and safe and I love. And, you know, because I have that stability in my life, it gives me the opportunity to be calm and rational and, and to be able to hear where others are at because I'm running into people who are in a less stable situation right. in often cases, not everyone. Some are just going to college and some are, you know, just starting a business, but a lot of people have a lot of upheaval in their lives. And because my life is more stable, I'm able to just relax and listen and help them figure out solutions to what they're dealing with. And with a lot of, you know, with recognizing that there, but for the grace of God, go I, you know, like it, it, could be me. Yeah. I don't look down at people. I think it's really important to treat everyone with that dignity. That it's just a matter of at this moment, they need a little assistance and we're in a position to offer it. Okay. That's great. And uh, so when you're not at work, what do you do for fun? What do you like to do? I do more work. No, I, <laughs> I do. I do work a lot of hours, but I do a lot of work with other nonprofits. My son goes to a Jewish day school and I serve not officially on their board because of conflict of interest issues that I think aren't good to engage in, but I do work on their nominating committee and do some fundraising and other things for them. I'm very active with my synagogue. I've gotten involved in some political campaigns. So I do those kinds of things that are, it's like a busman's holiday. You know, I do a lot of the same kind of work, but I also love to spend time with my family, with uh, my son, because we were saying last year, our son was studying remotely here at home and my husband was up in his office and I'm here in my office. And we realized it was like he was a latchkey child. He's 12 years old, but it was like he was just always on his own, even though he had two parents in the house. You know, <laughs> so it's a great joy whenever I have free time to spend it, whether I'm making him a meal or hanging out with him, laughing. And we also, my husband and I bought some kayaks last year because we thought it was a COVID safe sport. And so we've enjoyed getting out. There are some lagoons nearby and some places we can go to just get in the water and, and, um, and have some fun kayaking. I love cycling, reading, and uh, yeah, I find things to do. So what did I forget to ask you about the agency or about the work you do? Um, I think, let's see, I think that... Well, one thing I was surprised you didn't ask, and I'm grateful, is you didn't ask me about how is it being the first woman executive director. Oh. <laughs> and I'm and I am happy about that because I think, you know, after all these years, um, it was a big deal when I became the executive director that I was a female. And people asked me that question a lot. And I always felt like, well, yes, it's exciting. It's about time now. Like, let's get to work. And, uh, you know, I really wanted to be the best executive director I could be. And in a lot of ways, I just feel like it shouldn't be news. You know, it should be just, just 
what you do. You find the best person for the job at the right time and you don't worry about their gender. So that was a question you didn't ask. I think um, I think we had talked earlier about mentors and you didn't ask about mentors. So I just wanted to say that I um, have been fortunate to have a lot of great teachers along the way who have shown me by example and um, and and just by directing me how to do things. When I made the transition from for-profit to non-profit, I don't know if you know Nahama Tamler, sure. but uh, she was active in the community up here and she was a great mentor for me. And she was my initial boss at the Federation and showed me how to make that transition because there are a lot of differences between for-profit and non-profit. And she taught me how to work with committees and with chairs and how to how to do the work, you know, without um, and with mobilizing a community. So I was I remain very grateful to her for all that she taught me. And later, when I was in a, uh, a different phase of my career, Ed Cushman became my mentor to this day. He's my mentor. Um, he was my boss for four years at the Federation and then another 11 years at Hebrew Free Loan when I followed him here um, before he retired and I threw my hat in the ring to become the exec. And I think, so I've been giving some reflection uh, to the whole concept of being a mentor and what that means. And I think it's somebody who's really unselfish, who who looks after you and looks after your career and makes sure that you're in the limelight when it's appropriate and that they push you to be outside your comfort zone. In in my case with Ed, Ed was a real and still is a forest person. You know, he sees the big picture, he gets it. He's always dreaming. He's comfortable with change. He embraces change. And I was not always that way. I was always the tree to his forest and I could, you know, dot every I and cross every T, but I didn't always take the time to think big picture. And change was not something I always embraced. And he pushed me outside my comfort zone and brought me in and got me involved in a lot of different situations where he was always happy to share the load with me and share the the position at the table. And it allowed me to grow and be in a position to take the, the reins from him when he retired. So I'm forever grateful. And it's impacted me a lot in the way that I work with my team and not micromanaging, but always giving them credit when credit's due and encouraging them to be their very best and know that they've got my back and know that they'll bring me into things when when they need me to be involved. So, so if someone, one of our listeners wants to throw support your way, how do they get in touch with you? What's your web address? Right. The best thing to do is Google Hebrew Free Loan San Francisco. So you find us and not one of our other agencies, sister agencies in the world. But uh, in the official, the reason I say that is that it doesn't just roll off your tongue. The website is www.hflasf.org, which stands for Hebrew Free Loan Association, San Francisco.org. So um, people can find us pretty easily that way <laughs> if they just Google. And, well, thank you so much for being our guest today on the show. We appreciate it. And to my listeners, uh, we will bring you more and more of these kind of interviews in the future. We've got a few other people lined up for the rest of the year. It's going to be an exciting time for us. Well, thank you very much. Thank you so much, Gary. What an honor. Thank you for listening. We want to stay connected with you. Be sure to stay connected with our community by giving a like to our Facebook page and following our Instagram 
at PaintedRock underscore advisors. Our podcast is available on all of your favorite platforms. We'll see you at our next release. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.